Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. Um, I want to just give you uh, just a personal uh, sort of uh, look at some of the events that I've been doing. I've just completed an extensive uh, time of travel where I've been in Albuquerque and then I was in the LA area and then I was in the uh, Atlanta area. And uh, in each one of these areas, one of the events I did was the roundtables. Um, I've had the privilege of doing roundtables for uh, now multiple decades. And two things that I can say is people who've been at the roundtables are making the comment that the material we're putting out this year is some of the finest material that they have heard in the area of leadership. And I just want to encourage you uh, that if you are in a area that uh, we're going to be coming to, we have several roundtables coming up. One is going to be in the North Carolina area. Another one's going to be in Toronto, Canada. And then we have another one that will be in the northern part of California, in uh, Pittsburgh, California. And I just encourage you to come. If you know people in those areas, I think that you'll find that they're going to grow a whole lot from being involved in these events. They can always go to my uh, webpage, GeraldBrooksMinistries.com, and sign up for the events there. Hey, uh, today I want to talk to you about Moses on leadership. Moses on leadership. Now, Moses is one of those leaders that the amount of information that we are given about his leadership journey is massive. In comparison to other people in the Bible, there are just uh, very few leaders that were given the depth and the degree of information that we are given on Moses. So he becomes a perfect example for us to begin to drill down and maybe take a look at leadership and an extensive way in his life. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to uh, give you highlights from uh, several of the chapters in the book of Exodus, which is where his life begins to unfold and how his leadership journey begins. To look. So if you begin to open the book of Exodus, you begin to find that, of course, there's turmoil because uh, the Egyptians have begun to uh, oppress the uh, Israelites. And as a result of that, they began to pray and ask God to help them. And it says that God heard their cry. One thing that I would say to everyone is that long before we see things change, God is already setting in motion the events and the people that are needed to create that change. See, even though the people felt like their prayers were going unanswered, it says that God heard their cry. God was busy at work setting in motion what needed to be done. But with that being said, when you come to Exodus chapter 2, you see something that's very common in leadership, and that is you see that Moses' first attempt to lead uh, was a failure. In fact, what we're told is that even though he was raised in Pharaoh's house, he still had the heart for the people of God, Israel. And so one day he's out and he sees an Egyptian who is uh, basically causing problems for an Israelite. And what does he do? He decides he's going to lead. 
But what he's going to do in leadership isn't going to be reflective of the pattern that God wants a leader to lead with. And so he's literally going to take things into his own hands. Now, I'm using something figuratively, though it literally happened in that chapter. See, leaders, especially Christian leaders, they get themselves in trouble when they take things into their own hands. As a leader, we have to learn to put things in God's hands. And the more and the sooner that we're able to learn to put things in God's hands, the better our leadership journey will be. But what does he do? He ta- he jumps off and he begins to take things into his own hands and he literally murders the Egyptian. So let's just uh, start with this. In chapter 2, we learn that leaders aren't perfect. In fact, that leaders fail, and sometimes they fail in big, big ways. That's how his leadership journey is going to begin. It's going to start with failure. I say that to you because a lot of great leaders uh, never make it to the great stage of leadership because they fail, and because they fail, they assume that they cannot lead in the future. Uh, many of you know my story that the first church that I pastored, uh, I destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore. And it was because I was a young, arrogant kid who thought that he knew more than everyone else. And because of that, I didn't listen to anyone. And I created an environment of failure. And eventually, I took a small church, and that church ended up imploding. Now, I say that to you because uh, as much as that failure is something that one day I'll give an account to God for, that failure also was the catalyst for my leadership in the future because I was smart enough to know that I needed to make some changes. That being said, uh, leaders aren't perfect. And I've never met a leader that was perfect. I never met a leader who didn't have moments where they miscalculated and misjudged things. I've never met a leader that didn't have issues where they mishandled things. But the ability is our ability to learn from those moments and to adjust for the future. So the first thing is, is that we see in Moses that there was personal failure, uh, that he didn't succeed. His heart was right, but his method was wrong. And that's one of the major reasons that a lot of people fell in leadership. It's not that their heart's not right. His heart was right. He knew that he was to protect Israel. He knew that he was to lead them and deliver them, but his method was wrong and how he went about it. And so his leadership journey started with a personal failure. But again, it sets the baseline. Leaders aren't perfect. They don't always begin strongly. They don't always have their A game at the beginning of the game. And so uh, we begin to see that. But then we come over to Exodus chapter 3. To us, it's just a flip of the page. But for Moses, it's 40 years. 40 years after he took things into his own hands. See, it takes us a while that when we've taken things into our own hands to begin to learn to put them in God's hands. See, when we take them in our hands, we close our fist. But when we put them in God's hands, we open them and we expose our hands and say, God, it's not us, it's you. But this is now 40 years later. And as he's out there tending his flock, 
Enoch, what happens is is he sees a bush that's on fire, but yet it's not burning. So the infamous burning bush moment is happening, except he sees something that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And at this point, he's going to have a divine encounter of the close kind. Now, let me just say to you that as a leader, there's nothing that is more... um, sacred than the divine moments, those moments where it's you and God and you're having those personal, raw, and difficult conversations. Well, that's what's going to happen here. And he's going to begin to have this conversation as God begins to manifest himself. And as he begins to manifest himself in this bush that's on fire, but yet it's not being burnt. And let me just say that in of itself is an illustration. How many people do you know in leadership that are burnt out. They're burnt out emotionally, they're burnt out mentally, they're burnt out physically, they're burnt out spiritually. The very model that God was saying to Moses is, it is possible to lead and to be on fire for God without being burnt out in it. And so if you're on the burnt out end of things, maybe you need one of those raw conversations where you're going to talk to God and say, God, how do I uh, stay passionate for you and keep you on the front burner of my life without me being burnt up by life? And so Moses is having this visual begin to take place. But remember, 40 years earlier, he was taking things into his own hands. But now he's going to begin to ask some questions that have basically started 40 years ago. And what he's going to do is in Exodus chapter 3, he's going to begin to ask a series of five questions. Not all of them are in Exodus 3, but that's the beginning of them. And, and so as he begins to ask these questions... It's going to bring another step, and that is that all leaders have questions. In fact, all leaders not only have questions, but usually those questions reflect internal battles that they're having. The first question that he basically asks is, who are you? He said, who are you? I hear this, I see this, but who are you? And can I say as a leader, until you know who God is, you really can't lead for God. Now, you may have leadership potential, you may have leadership skills, but you've got to know him. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I know in whom I believed. doesn't say, I know about whom I believe, or I've heard about you. He says, I know. And so there has to be some firsthand knowledge. It can't be hand-me-down knowledge. There has to be some divine encounters of the close kind. And so God's going to begin to talk to him about who God is. But then Moses is going to ask a second question, and that is, well, who am I? Because he's struggling. He knows that he's failed in the past. How can he be sure that he's not going to fail in the future? So what you see is you see that he's going to begin to deal with his fears of rejection, his fears of failure and his fears of rejection, his fears of failure and his fears of rejection. Now, what's interesting is in psychology, they say this thing called the comfort zone is based on two fears. It's the fear of failure. I'm going to do something that doesn't work. And it's the fear of rejection. 
I'm going to do something and people aren't going to like it. And they say the width between those two things, your fear of failure and your fear of rejection, that determines your comfort zone. So if I could just say to you, how wide are those? Do you have a high risk tolerance that you can go out there and do things for God? And if something goes wrong, it doesn't devastate you. Can you do things? And even though people may not accept what you're doing in the name of God, can you keep doing things for God? Two fears, the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. Who are you? He was dealing with the fact, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do 40 years ago, but now I'm on the backside of the desert. And now he's dealing with the fear of rejection. Well, what if I do this and people really don't respond to it? So what I want to say is that in chapter three, we learn that leaders have questions. See, sometimes because leaders are very confident in their outward display, people think that there's never anything internal to us where there are questions and there are concerns. But I can tell you that on my best days, there have been times when I've had questions. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Is God in this or is God in that? And I'm telling you that having questions is a part of the leadership journey. Why? Because questions force you to depend on God. They force you to rely on Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. You've got to be someone who engages with your heart. And as you engage God with your heart and you get to know him, you begin to get to the place that some of the questions that were so pronounced begin to be resolved and you can just begin to trust God. So you have this component here. You have him of being a person who had personally failed. You have him being a person who had questions and internal issues. Another thing that's going to go on is in Exodus 4, is that we're going to see that if you're going to lead, uh, you're going to have to address family issues. You're going to have to address family issues. And in Exodus 4, it's going to happen a little bit different than uh, most of us would suspect. Because one of the things that you're going to find in the book of Exodus is that for uh, Moses to be able to lead, he had to deal with relationships. And the first relationship he had to deal with was, of course, his relationship with God. Who are you? His relationship with God. But then he had to deal with his relationship with those that he was responsible for. And that was Zipporah, his wife, and that was with his kids. And what God makes him do is he says, there's some issues in your family that you've ignored, but I'm not going to let you ignore them anymore. And there's going to be a pretty harsh conversation between Zipporah and, and Moses over the fact that he had never instituted a fundamental part of the Israeli faith, and that was circumcision. And it's going to be one of those things that it's like that silent conversation. But here's what we begin to see in the formation of a leader. Leaders have to deal with their failures. Leaders have to deal with their questions. And leaders have to deal with their family. You don't get to lead other people until you've led in the most important parts of yours. So what we're going to see is that we're going to see that he's going to have 
have to lead with God and have a real relationship. And then he's going to have to lead in his family. But then he's going to have to lead with his brother. And then he's going to have to lead with the uh, elders of Israel. So I want you to begin to get it. Can you lead in areas where people are over you? God? Can you lead in areas where people may need to respond to you in your family? Can you lead in areas where people are on the same level as you, his brother? And can you lead in areas where people need to follow you, the elders? And so you see this, this, uh, issue beginning to come that he has to lead. And before you can ever be a great deliverer, you have to be able to have dynamic relationships with God, and you have to be able to lead in profound ways. It's not only that, uh, but we find out that uh, sometimes when you start leading, all it does is seem to create problems. Because as you go on in Exodus, uh, you begin to find out as Moses begins to step forward here, one of the things is uh, as he steps forward, what Pharaoh does is he makes it harder for Israel. And see, sometimes we think if we're leading, there won't be any problems. And if we're leading well, the problems will get less. But as he was leading, the problems are going to get more pronounced. They're going to take away the straw. You got to make the same number of bricks, but you don't have basically the congealing agent that's going to hold the mud together. And you've got to do this. I'm going to make it harder on you. So you see this thing with Moses. He's having to lead in the midst that he wasn't perfect. He's having to lead even though he has questions. He's having to lead in relationship opportunities. And as he's leading, he's beginning to realize that sometimes when you lead, the first thing that happens is things get worse and more problems come to the forefront. But it's not only that, uh, but you get to lead when no one's listening. And, and that is sometimes the very people you're trying to help are the people who are not going to listen to you. And in the case of Israel, when he first started leading and, and things didn't go well, what begins to happen is this, is, is they're saying, Hey, Moses, why don't you take a step back? Uh, we're now having to work harder. We're having to do more. And it's all because of you. They did not begin to listen. Uh, and so sometimes you try to help people and it doesn't seem like they even want the help. And that is a part of the leadership journey is the ability to lead people even when the people aren't quick to follow. See, we think that if we're the leader, everyone's going to follow. But that's not true. There may be a handful that are easy to jump on board, but there's a lot of people who don't jump on board quickly. And as a result of that, you're going to have to lead. So we're seeing this process. And and then you see the process where finally Moses and Aaron, they go before Pharaoh very directly and uh, they challenge him and they begin to do what we would call the plagues. And like I like to tell people, the only difference between a plague and a miracle is whether you believe or you don't believe. Uh, every one of the 10 plagues were miracles for Israel, but they were plagues to the Egyptian. It all has to do with what side of faith you're on. But uh, they're sitting there, and 
the Pharaoh's not impressed. He's not moved one bit. Why? Because his guys can do the exact same thing that Moses is doing. He can make the exact same things begin to occur. So you begin to have this sequence of things. Uh, Moses leading in spite of personal failure. Uh, Moses leading when there's fear and rejection. Moses leading in the relationship centers of his life. Moses leading even though his leadership looks like it's creating problems. Moses leading when it seems like, uh, you know, uh, things are going to get worse. And Moses leading when it seems like no one's listening. And Moses just keeps leading. But then we see in Exodus chapter 8, it's an amazing thing to me that Moses leads even when people procrastinate. Now, what we know is this, is that the plagues began to put more and more pressure on the Pharaoh. But Moses wasn't trying to cause the Pharaoh to look bad. He wanted the Pharaoh to do what God wanted him to do. But he turns to the Pharaoh and he says, if you'll let my people go, if you'll let them do these things, then here's what will happen. And he turns to Pharaoh and he says, you know what? You get to decide. And we know that what's going on is that now there's the plague of the frogs and the Bible's just very visual that there are frogs everywhere. And he turns to Pharaoh and he says, you have this honor. When do you want the frogs to go away? And Pharaoh responds and he says, tomorrow. Now get that. Everywhere you are, there are frogs. Places that you don't want a frog, there's a frog. You're given the right to make the decision. And what do you say? Give me one more night with those frogs. Give me one more night with that problem. Give me one more night with that. And so in the midst of all of that, he begins to challenge him. And and Pharaoh is given this opportunity, but he procrastinates. And I think one of the hardest things on leaders is when you know you're trying to help somebody and they can't pull the trigger. They just can't pull the trigger and really make a difference. So can you lead when others procrastinate? And then we go on and it's the challenge of the structure of the day. Existing paradigms are going to be confronted. And one of the things is, is that uh, when you begin to uh, just speak and you begin to lead, one of the things that's going to happen is is you're going to begin to lead and there are going to be things that have always been done a certain way that will have to be managed differently. And for a lot of people, when their leaders change the structure of life, the day-to-day of life, that's when life begins to uh, be a little bit difficult for them. But in Exodus 9 and 10, that's exactly what happens. The structure of everything is going to be uh, challenged. Existing paradigms are going to be confronted. And so as a result of that, right now, it's not only the fact that uh, the Egyptians are uncomfortable, but Israel is going to get uncomfortable because the structures that they were used to. Can I tell you something? I've learned that people would run rather have old problems than new solutions. Give me the old problems rather than a new solution. 
Why? Because they're used to the old problems. They're used to feeling bad. They're used to thinking a certain way. They're used to doing something that way. They're used to it. But when a leader comes in, the very template of how life is structured begins to be changed because leaders begin to change not only the environment, but they change the structure. Reminds me in West Texas, there's the story of a guy visiting another farmer. And when he steps on the porch, he sees this dog over there. And this dog over there is just sort of moaning and and yelping a little bit. And he's looking at this dog. The farmer comes up and he looks at his dog and he says, hey, your dog's apparently uncomfortable. He's moaning and yelping. He said, do you know why? He says, yeah, he's laying on a sticker uh, and he said, well, what do you mean? You know, he said, you know, one of those little plants that has the points on it, he's laying on one of those. He says, well, why doesn't he just get up and move? He said, he'd rather moan than move. And in leadership, that happens sometimes. People would rather hold on to an old problem than get a new solution. And so Moses is having to just confront, but he's also going to be the person who's going to have to make some tough decisions. And the tough decisions are going to center around the fact that because the Pharaoh wouldn't respond, that there's going to be a challenge that's going to happen. And the challenge is going to be devastating. And that is that the firstborn of Egypt are going to die. Now, No leader likes to make decisions that involve sacrifice and severe sacrifice, but that's what Moses is having to do. He's having to make a decision because God said, I've given all these opportunities, but now the tough decision's coming. And what I found is the difference between good leaders and great leaders is good leaders can make the easy decisions. Great leaders make the tough decisions. And the difference between a good decision and being a good leader and a great leader who makes a tough decision is that when you're a good leader, you get to make decisions where someone gets to win. Where you look around and say, if we make this decision, this person wins or this person wins. But when you're a great leader, you make tough decisions. And those are the decisions that no one wins that everyone's going to take a bit of the loss here. Now, I get it that Israel's going to get a chance to walk free, but you also have to understand no one with any kind of compassionate heart ever wants to see someone make the decision that is going to cost them the ultimate this side of heaven. So, He's going to challenge structure, but he's going to make, um, you know, tough decisions. But there's also going to be the fact that as he makes tough decisions, he's going to establish patterns of faith. See, leaders hand off faith. They don't become a replacement for other people believing. They just show people how to believe. So with Moses, it's going to be the Passover. Uh, for Moses, it's going to be the unleavened bread. For Moses, it's going to be taking the blood of the animal and putting it on the doorstep. It's going to be the fact that because the blood has been shed, but it has to be applied. See, that's what people don't get. They don't get that there's two sides to faith. 
There's the God side, the shedding of blood. There's the man side, the applying of the blood. And both of those have to happen. And even though blood was shed for everyone in Egypt, whether they're Egyptian or whether they were Israelites, it has to be applied. And people sit there and they say, I don't get it. I don't get why certain things happen. People have to apply what God says. And so Moses is going to set that template. And as he sets that template, what he's going to do is he's going to create that template of saying, hey, we always have patterns of faith. Every year we will remember the Passover. Every year there will be the shedding of blood reminding us that one day there will be a lamb who will take away the sin of the world, but that when that blood shed, it's going to have to be applied. It's going to be applied to the doorpost. And so you see Moses as he begins to establish uh, patterns of faith, but faith is always bigger than the problem. Do you understand that when they initiated their faith, they're still in Egypt? When they initiated their faith, they're still slaves? When they initiated their faith, they're still supposed to be making bricks? When they initiated their faith, they're still in oppression? Faith doesn't start the day everything is good. Faith starts before things are good. And so you begin to see that he establishes patterns of faith. But what he says to them is, faith doesn't deny that there's a problem. It's that your faith is bigger than the problem. So even though you're in a land of oppression, your faith says God is setting you free. Even though you're still a slave, your faith is saying we are the people of God. And even though you are supposed to be making bricks, your faith says God has a place that he's making for us. And it all started with a pattern of faith. The other thing is, is the Passover was a pattern of faith, but there's also a pattern of sanctification. And the pattern of sanctification is going to involve the principle of unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread was very key to Israel. And what that had to do with was while they were in Egypt, they had learned to enjoy the foods of Egypt. If you go back in history, what we're told is, is that the Egyptians were one of the first cultures to begin to use yeast to create... um, various food products and breads, what we would call donuts, delicacies that would begin to rise. That it wasn't just, you know, something that was flat and hard, but they had learned how to bake with yeast. And unleavened bread was a little bit different. God in faith was saying, observe the patterns of faith because what they do is they deliver you. But observe the unleavened bread because it's God wanting to sanctify you. And what God was saying to Israel is, I don't want you to have a taste for the world. I don't want you to have a taste for Egypt. I want you to lose your taste. Now, there's a direct application to us, and we know in the book of Corinthians it refers to Passover and the unleavened bread. And what it's referencing is, hey, in your life, it's easy to get delivered from darkness, Egypt, but you still have a taste for what was before. And what God says is, I not only want to deliver you from something, but I want to sanctify you from the taste of it. 
And this is a dimension that God wants everyone, and he wants leaders to lead people into. So we're seeing this sequence. We know that Israel begins to be set free, and as they're set free, they eventually come to a place where God could have easily given them the easy way to go, but he didn't. He told them basically to uh, take a turn, and instead of going straight ahead, which would have been an easy walk to the promised land, he told them to take a turn. And God many times asks leaders to take detours, and he not only asks leaders to take detours, but the people that they're leading to take detours with them. But because of that detour, they're going to come up to the Red Sea. They're going to be surrounded by the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on one side of them, a wilderness on the other side, and the Egyptians coming from. It looks like God's led them to the ultimate place of defeat. See, many times when we're following God, it doesn't always make sense to us. They could have gone straight, but they didn't. But here is the thing. God didn't want them living in fear of Egypt. And so on that day in Exodus chapter 14, Moses is going to utter these words, stand ye still and see the salvation of your God. See, God's never going to let us live our lives where we're focused on something else other than him. And he knew that for Israel, they would always be thinking about the Egyptians. But God was giving them a way to put that in the past. And when the Red Sea split and Israel went across, they saw the Egyptian army consumed. Now, that being said, When our eyes are on them, that means our eyes aren't on him. And whatever it takes for you to keep your eyes on him, that's going to be a part of your leadership journey. So we've walked through just the highlights of the first 14 chapters of Exodus. Moses' own leadership, personal failures, fears of rejection, questions and internal battles, families and fractures, leadership when it creates problems. How do you lead when no one's listening? Can you obey when nothing's changing? Can you lead when others procrastinate? Challenging the structure of the day, making tough decisions, establishing patterns of faith, losing your taste for the past, and never losing sight of God. Now, what I've done is I've given you an overview Because here's what I get asked by people all the time. They would like to do extensive teaching on on leadership. And what I've given you is the outline of the first 14 chapters on leadership. I've basically given you the titles. All you've got to do is to go back and just develop the content. And you can walk whoever you're leading. And you may be in the business world, but can I tell you something? You don't have to mention Exodus. You just have to walk people through personal failure, fears and questions, relational challenges. The outline is the outline. So what I've given you is a broad outline that you can go back and you can fill in the substance for. And if you fill in the substance for it, I think you're going to find out it can be a liberating leadership journey, not only for you, but for others. 
Hey, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for telling others about the podcast. Thank you for just sort of doing the deep dive on this and drilling down with me. Again, we've got some great meetings coming up. Uh, we are going to be in uh, North Carolina and Toronto and Northern California. Uh, the roundtables have been exceptional. Come and join us for one of those. And remember my newest book, uh, If Paul Were Your Life Coach, 10 Things Paul would say to you, you can get that online. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.